verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and he shall be called, and, and shall be called, his name shall be called Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is born... Also, she will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, also has conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. Ah, this is a centrality of the message. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Would you give me a few more seconds by pointing your hands in my direction, offering a prayer in my behalf and for anointing for all of us together so that we would have even a more meaningful time at his word. Father, when I look at this congregation this morning, I look at my life. We need this word spoken of us. That with God nothing shall be impossible. How many times have we looked to ourselves and found impossibilities? God, and I ask you today to let the Word of God come alive in our spirit. Would you give me divine unction and revelation and impartation? Would you hide me behind the cross? And Would you help me to choose the words carefully? And I pray that every one of us here today would be elevated to the next level of your blessing. Every need we give to you as we give you this word that you've given to us that it may work in our lives in Jesus name would you say amen amen, amen it is and thank you for being seated in the presence of the Lord you might keep your scriptures open to this reference it happened on a Wednesday the middle of the week on a Wednesday just a little town very insignificant place, long, long time ago. But I know it happened on a Wednesday because all marriage betrothal engagements, all contracts of marriage were written on Wednesdays. The parents of both Joseph and Miriam came together for the customary signing but they really didn't know the significance of what would happen on that Wednesday or even beyond. After all, it was the custom. Every Wednesday in the town, somebody was writing up 
marital contracts, engagement contracts, which basically said that within the year from the writing of the contract, or more specifically, at the end of that year, the two people for whom the parents consented would be married. I grew up in a culture that the custom and practice was that the parents chose the would-be spouse of the engaged. So for the son, they would obviously choose a girl. For the daughter, they would choose a guy. And that seems so imposing. It seems so mystifying. You don't know what you're getting till you get it. But it was the custom. Very common names, the names Mary and Joseph. In fact, almost every Jewish family had a Miriam in the family. The name Miriam was very special because of the sister of Moses, whose name was Miriam. Some families were known to have two Marys in the family, Mary the older and Mary the younger. It was absolutely the most common name among the Jewish people. And the name Joseph was common, as well as his vocation, profession. He was a carpenter by trade. He was not a rabbi. He was not a scholar. He was not a public figure. And while the custom of marital betrothal was common, and the names Mary and Joseph were also common, there's some very uncommon things about this Christmas story. They are so uncommon that indeed they fit into the category of the amazing And for our moments together in this lesson, I would like to look with you at three amazing things of this story, all of which points out to the story of a young girl who learned to trust God totally. And the story is all about a God who chose a young girl to do something in her that was absolutely so amazing, the effect of which will last throughout eternity. Because you see, brothers and sisters, God still does the impossible. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. So for the sake of our discourse, I'd like to begin with this thought. I'd like you to ponder with me the amazing announcement to Mary. And we find that in verses 31 through 37. I won't read it again. It was our text. The very nature... The fashion in which God chose to bring the message to Mary is quite awe-inspiring. Let me present to you a quote that I would like for you to ponder. I don't know the source of it, but some time ago I, I had it in my reference and I kept it. And it really helps me to understand the amazing announcement and the content in the context of which I believe it's worthy of. And, and I'll read it and you follow with me. Quote, just when we begin to learn about God's system of nature to understand its reliability, God, in the central event of all human history, decides to supersede it. Pause. Just when we think we've got God figured out. Just when we think that that He is obliged to certain ways of doing things. 
He supersedes His ways. It goes on to say, He proclaims an amazing announcement that no law of physics can explain, that no scientist can hypothesize, that no computer can predict. Quite beyond the bonds of uh, biology, God announces the Son of the Most High would be born of a virgin. Born of a virgin, you say? No, he said. Now, hear this, church, so that you can appreciate the Christmas season. The thing that we have to do always about the Christmas story in order to appreciate it is to keep it simple. Just like it's written. Now, the word simple is not a very popular word among theologians. I found, I found that out when I was in graduate school a few years ago in seminary. Theologians, it appears to me, much prefer the word complex, not simple. Theologians for the past 20 centuries have tried to explain not only the virgin birth, but all manner of miracles in Scripture. Now, now theologians, they can get all unraveled about the virgin birth and whether or not it was possible as if this was the first amazing thing that ever happened in Scripture. For goodness sakes, brothers and sisters, let's, let's in our minds go back to Genesis 1. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, whether or not I can explain God doesn't do away with the fact that God can do the impossible. However God does something, it's not up to me and I to decipher you and I and to understand it, to realize it's God. Whether we can explain it or not, if it happened and God was involved, it doesn't take away the fact that it happened. In the beginning, God. That's the explanation. God. And I have the idea that if God could handle creation so adequately... I think he's quite able to bring about the virgin birth of his only son, Jesus. I might say to you what is amazing to me this morning is the way people try to explain away the miracles of the Bible. Some years ago, I came across an article from UPI that was out of Boston. That's written years and years ago, but this article talks about David and Goliath. And how that particular account might have occurred. And so I'll read it to you. Quote, David may have been able to kill Goliath because the giant suffered a rare growth disorder. (laughs) This is what doctors suggested yesterday. In a letter to the New England Journal of Medicine, a husband and wife team from Vanderbilt University in Nashville theorized that Goliath may have suffered from a rare disorder that causes tumors to grow in the endocrine glands which help regulate the body's growth and functions. Psychiatrist Pauline Rabin, who helped formulate this theory with her endocrinologist husband, David Rabin, said, A cyst in the giant's forehead may have made him vulnerable to David's slingshot. Such a cyst 
would be a softer spot and allow the pebble to penetrate into his brain, killing him instantly. End of quote. Now, I have no idea what kind of rare disorder Goliath might have had. I kind of feel like John Maxwell says, maybe Goliath might have had a soft head. All I know is that when David turned loose of one end of the sling, the rock found the right spot and David killed him with one accurate stone. And to me, that is a miracle. It's amazing. It's amazing how still there are those who would want to discredit the word will discredit miracles. Most of you along the way have heard the supposedly scientific logic as to the crossing of the Red Sea. If you haven't heard it, I need to tell it. If you've heard it before, you need to hear it again. It just makes you happy. The scientific logic about the crossing of the Red Sea was that the Red Sea that Moses and one and a half million people came to while exiting Egypt and the hot pursuit of Pharaoh and his army behind him, the Red Sea, scientists says, was known as the Reed Sea. Not the Red Sea, R-E-E-D, Reed Sea. They say it was called the Reed Sea because reeds grew in it. And they say that actually it was no higher in depth than one's Knee. Now, for the sake of telling this account, the name of the sea, whether it's red, R-E-D, or reed, R-E-E-D, is not significant. What is significant here is the fact that Pharaoh's army could be drowned in knee-high water while over one and a half million Israelites made it over safely. That was a pretty dumb army if that was the case. But it wasn't a dumb army. It was a deep sea. There were walls of water higher than everybody else on one side and a wall of water on the other side. And God made dry land in the middle and caused every man, woman, boy, and girl and livestock to cross over. With God, nothing shall be impossible. Oh, help me, Jesus. A pastor was trying to teach us a, a small, a, a Sunday school class of small children. And he was trying to teach them about the word miracle so they could understand. So he told them this story, hypothetically. He said, kids, let's suppose that I was on top of a ten-story building and I fell off. But on the way down, a whirlwind caught me and gently broke my fall and laid me softly on the ground, sparing my life. Kids, what would you call that? And they all looked at each other and directly one kid raised his hand and said, I call that luck. <laughs> no, no, said the pastor. You don't understand. Let me tell the story again. Suppose I was a ten-story building, accidentally fell off. But on the way down, a whirlwind caught me and gently brought me to the ground. What would you call that? A little girl raised her hand and she said, 
An accident. No, no, you don't understand. Let me tell you again. Because he's trying to teach him. Uh, and so he tells a story. He falls off a ten-story building on the way down. Miraculously, a whirlwind breaks my fall. And I come gently to the ground. What do you call that? Somebody else said, practice. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how far we will go to avoid the word God? Amen. Miracle. Supernatural. Divine. And this is what happened with Mary. It's absolutely amazing how far we will go to avoid the word miracle. And yet Mary was willing to accept the amazing announcement that she would conceive a child not having sexual relationship with a man as is biologically known. The children come into the world and that this child would not only be conceived in her womb without the sexual union of a man, but this child would be the son of God. Well, if that's amazing, let me give you the second of three thoughts. The amazing assignment. This assignment of the birth of the Christ child is given to Mary, whom many scholars say was probably in her mid or early teens. And perhaps according to the culture and custom of that day, as it was in many cultures at that time, marriage contracts and unions took place much earlier in one's life than the present practice perhaps in the Western culture today. So it's assumed she could have been as young as 13 and maybe 14 years old. So the question comes to mind in in preparing for this lesson is, how can God trust the redemption of the world to a 14-year-old kid? Seems a little odd if you think about 14-year-old kids today. I mean, what is a 14-year-old girl in our culture thinking about today? What is her lifestyle like? Well, I mean, a 14-year-old should be a 14-year-old in the context of, I think, with 14-year-old girls, they, they look giddy, they laugh a lot, they listen to music, uh, they uh, wear the latest clothes, and they're texting all the time, and maybe got the... Their little buds in their ears and moving to the music. Don't always clean their room and don't always take up their dish after and, 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 and take it to the sink and all. And, and, and I'm thinking, now God, what are you thinking about this assignment to save the whole world and using a 14-year-old girl? I, I mean, I think about it and... Sarah, the wife of Abraham, was 90 years old. <laughs> I'm thinking, we know that's a miracle, don't we, ladies? <laughs> and I can just see some ladies thinking, Lord, don't use me. <laughs> 90 years old she was when she had her first child. So, what are you thinking, God? What are you thinking, God? I mean, there was another one. Uh, Elizabeth, in the text. Elizabeth is a relative of Mary. Mary's about 14. Elizabeth is past childbearing age. According to the text, she would be the mother of John the Baptist. And I'm thinking, God, those were mature women. They knew how to handle life. 
seem like to me if you're going to choose somebody for this assignment, you, and if, you, if you're going to choose a virgin, then you might choose a, a woman in her mid-twenties or early thirties who've come through a little bit of life's journey, has a little responsibility, knows how to change a diaper and etc. But here, God, here goes God doing all over again what he has the prerogative to do. What God does is, is takes the impossible and makes it possible. I, I, oh my, thank you, Jesus. I, I think about her assignment. And when I study the Bible, it appears that God always is going to the wrong people. Go ahead and say amen. He came to you. Came to me. Think about Abraham. Y'all with me, right? Fatherless Abraham hadn't had a child. He was a hundred. His wife Sarah was ninety. Twenty-five years before Isaac is born, God changes Abraham's name from Abram to Abraham, which means the father of many nations. That would be a wrong choice if I was going to call somebody the father of anything. It looked like to me they at least have to have at least one child somewhere. What about stammering, tongue-tied Moses? Read your Bible when God called Moses to go into Egypt and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Moses' first excuse was, but I can't even talk right. I have a stammering lips. Uh, my, my tongue gets heavy in my mouth when I go to speak, and especially when I go to speak in public. And you're telling me to go to the, to the, the leader of one of the largest empires in the known world. Perhaps Egypt was the world's power. And you want me to go to that pharaoh and that government? I haven't even spoken before a small group. And you want me... You're thinking... You're thinking if God's going to choose somebody to represent one and a half million people, they may have some proper grammar. And they can articulate the language. Seems like to me God's always going to the wrong people. What about undisciplined Samson? Samson was one of the judges of Israel prior to the time when Israel would have a king. They moved from being led by prophets and priests, Moses, prophets, priests, to judges and eventually kings. Samson was a he-man with a she-weakness. Y'all can write that down. They are still, well, okay. This is the pastor's offering Sunday. Maybe I should, oh, you already gave. I'll go right ahead. Go right ahead and shuck the corn then. Control. He can't control his lust. Can't live within the boundaries of God saying, if you stay in these boundaries, I'm going to bless you, boy. If you abuse these boundaries, same is true today. God will not break his rule for Alan Matura or for anybody else. Just like you love your children. You love your children. You create boundaries for them. Even though your teenager thinks you're staying up late at night, finding new and creative ways to make their life miserable. 
If you truly love your child, you create parameters, boundaries. You don't hang with this group. You don't stay past this hour. You don't drive past this mile per hour. Can I get an... You create boundaries. Samson thought he was an exception because he was a he-man. You can tell I practiced this. I don't care if you're a he-man or a she-girl or who your name is. God has the final word. Samson was to be a judge of Israel when he needed to be judged. Who would have chosen little David? Seemed like to me God's given big assignments to some of the wrong people. When David was chosen, he wasn't a warrior. He hadn't fought the first battle anywhere. He was probably a freckle-faced 16-year-old guy watching over sheep in the remote part of his father's property because he was so insignificant when Samuel the prophet showed up to David's father's house, Jesse's house, to find one of Jesse's sons to be the next king of Israel. Jesse didn't even bring David! After Samuel looked over all the sons of Jesse and David wasn't there, he said, none of these boys are the ones. Haven't you got any other boys or have I missed it? Well, I got little David out there watching over the sheep. Bring David. And when Samuel anointed David and, and the whole family was surprised, Samuel said, you got to remember this about God. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Come on and give the Lord some praise. He chose you. He chose me. If you were choosing, would you have chosen John the Baptist to be a preacher? To be the forerunner of Jesus? John the Baptist was the predecessor. The one who came before, paved the way for Jesus. He didn't have a Mark's heart and Shaffner suit. This ain't one either. This says Sewell on it. Thank God for Sewell. Whoever that is. John the Baptist wore animal skins. Ate wild vegetation. Unkept. If we were choosing, I mean, he was, he was a yelling preacher. Thank God for yelling preachers. So uncouth. Uh, if, if we were looking for the right preacher... And we're going to choose. We'd say, you, do, you need to go have a shave and a haircut before you come to the interview. <laughs> and I can go on and on, but I'll tell you this. What about persecuting Saul? Who later became the Apostle Paul. Who other than, uh, well, actually, the, the most books in the New Testament, more of the books of the New Testament are penned by Paul than any other writer. When God chose Saul, that was his name prior to changing it to Paul, he was killing Christians any way he could find them. Can I get a witness if you know your Bible? And God said, I will choose him to take the Gospels, not only to the Jews, but the Gentiles. If I was going to choose somebody that would take the message, I would choose somebody that the crowd would receive. Okay? But can you imagine Paul going to the first church, time to church among the Christians whom he killed a lot of their partners before and saying, I am now Paul and you can trust me. They're thinking, let's clear this place out real quick. Because his reputation precedes him. That's why some of your friends don't believe God's changed you. Because they haven't been around you long enough to know that God turned what was dark into light. 
That's why when you show up on Monday morning or you show up later on, after God baptized you in the Holy Ghost, after you get baptized in water, after God delivers you from drugs and alcohol and pornography and cussing and gambling and wife beating and all other kind of sin, after the same people who hung with you and, and saw you and you went to a place of prayer and God took what was impossible and made it possible to have a hard time receiving you because God can take the undesirable and make it acceptable. Come on, give the Lord some praise. Here. I, I got to hurry. You know, you know what God done? He took Mary, who seems to be so unfit for the job. Little 14-year-old girl. God took Mary, gave her this assignment. And I, I'm thinking here with you that as I was sitting there this morning and thinking about the remarks that Brother Don was making, I was 11 years old when I came to America. Uh, I, little, little Indian boy, coming to America because mom and dad's coming to America. Dad's a preacher. God sent him as a missionary to America. You know, I've never been to America. You know, the only thing that was exciting about coming to America at 11 years old? I'll tell you what. Because in America, I found out, they didn't spank the kids at school like they did in Trinidad. <laughs> Honestly, I kid you not. In Trinidad, the school we went to, you have to wear a uniform. Okay? You have to be properly attired. Before classes began every morning, we lined up in the courtyard of the school, several hundred kids. And we'd line up in rows. And the, the teachers would come through. We'd hold our hands out like this. Look, I kid you not, okay? We'd face each other, hold our hands, and they would expect our fingernails. If it wasn't cut right, they would take the ruler and give it to you on your hand. I cannot tell you the amount of times I borrowed a razor blade from a friend and cut up my finger in order... Honestly, but I found that in America you don't have to wear uniforms and they won't, the teacher won't spank you in school. And I'm thinking, let's all go to America. <laughs> America been good to me. <laughs> no idea that on a Sunday morning, December 4, 2011, God would take a little insignificant Indian boy with the Holy Ghost and bless them with a church of people full of the Holy Ghost on their way to heaven saving our families delivering those who are bound I might have been a wrong choice for somebody else you might not have chosen me and I might not have chosen you but God chose us and I'm glad He chose me somebody praise me praise Him praise Him Yes, praise Him. God chose you. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I remember when I used to wish for somebody to say amen. So don't get, don't be criticizing these folks, okay? I used to wish somebody would say hallelujah. Other than my wife. One time my wife passed me a note right before I preached. at K-I-S-S. Yeah. Kiss. And it's not what you think. It meant keep it short, stupid. God forgive me for that. I made that up. Look what God did. Look what God did. Look on the screen. 1 Corinthians 1, 26. 
For you see your calling, brethren, that you, that not many wise according to the flesh. God didn't call many wise according to the way the flesh is. Not many mighty. Not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things which are that no flesh should glory in His presence. You may put a zero on somebody's head, but God has the final word on your head. Who told you that you were a loser? Who told you that you were never going to be somebody? Who told you that you were broke, busted, and disgusted? God didn't tell you that. Somebody help me here. Who told you you're going to die from cancer? Who told you you're going to have to go in bankruptcy? Who told you you're not going to be on the team? Who told you you couldn't be called of God? God has the final word. And somebody else may put a zero on you. But God will put 100 on you if you will obey Him and be available. Somebody praise Him. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> God will amaze you. Get ready. You can start your own business. You can finish college. You can finish high school. You can get a promotion. You can, by God's grace, erase your past. I got to hurry. The last point. I told you about an amazing announcement. I just told you about an amazing assignment. Let me tell you about amazing acceptance. The fact that God called Mary was amazing. But the fact that Mary said yes is also amazing. Isn't that what verse 37? (laughs) I feel a... After all this stuff, God is showing up to Mary in the form of an angel. Sending an angel, I should say. That's what happened. The angel saying, Behold, you are highly favored. Now, maybe I'll preach this next Sunday. There's a price to be paid when you're highly favored. Yeah. One of the byproducts of being highly favored is adversity. After the angel describes all that's going to happen to her, she says in her acceptance speech, Let it be to me like you said. Now, lest perhaps we missed the point here, let me say to you that Mary had to risk certain things in order to obey God before she would become the most popular woman in all of creation. Eve is not nearly as popular as Mary. Can I get a witness? And while I respect Oprah, Mary is a whole lot more popular. The Queen of England has been around a long time. But Mary is the mother of our Savior. I'm not an advocate of Mary worship. I'm just telling you that when she accepts the assignment, in spite of the adversity. <laughs> so, so what did she risk? She risked family rejection. And I'm hastening now, okay? Her mom and dad, her brother and sister, 
they, they could readily reject her because of the social stigma of a young girl being pregnant and out of wedlock in that culture and that time. The social stigma was unbelievable. You're probably thinking, surely her parents, when they heard the message from Mary, affirmed her and comforted her and supported her. Maybe so. But maybe they responded like you and I would have responded when your 14-year-old teenage daughter tells you she's pregnant out of marriage. And then you say, who? And then she says, the classic answer, God did it. God did it. God did it. I'm sure there was some discussion over dinner that night. God did it. Yeah. Not only does she risk the rejection of a the possible rejection of her family, she risks public disapproval. Now, gossip is a terrible thing, but gossip in a small town is an even more terrible thing. And can you imagine, she came from a good family, good background, up until now she was a good girl. The people knew her. And then one particular writer, his name is Shulam Ask. S-H-U-L-U-M, Shulam, A-S-K, Ask. He, he wrote a novel about Mary and titled it Mary, appropriately. And in his book, he, he, he notes some important things about the culture that I just want to render to you briefly with haste. Here, here's what he says from his book, and I quote him, speaking of Mary, her culture. The traditional wedding ceremony included the requirement of the bride to sit in front of her father's house for parts of three days. She was to have her hair loose and she was to be dressed in white to signify her virginity. There she sat to receive greetings and good wishes from one and from all. The writer goes on to say, but Mary was found to be with a child. Or as they would have said in those days, she already had a baby beneath her heart. Continue. Do you suppose Mary went through with this custom? What kind of greetings from passerbys would a pregnant girl dressed in bridal white receive? If you were Mary's parents, the author asked, would you allow your pregnant teenager to sit as a spectacle before all in the community as they protest her purity? But, but that's the kind of risk that Mary took. When the angel said to her, this is what's going to happen to you, she begins to immediately rally in her mind the risk and knowing the risk of family rejection and community disapproval, she said, let it be to me according to the Word of God. If you're going to get your blessing from God, you've got to come past some hurdles, some naysayers. There are some folks who are only going to be with you like they were with the son of the, uh, uh, the, the prodigal son. Uh, the, the, the father who gave him his wealth uh, because he asked for it prematurely and he went, the son went into a far country and as long as he was paying the tabs and paying the check and, and serving up the wine and the beer and the women and the song, as long as he was paying the bill, they were with him. But when he ended up in a hog pen and a famine, having to fight for slop from a pig because nobody gave him food, none of his friends were along. And that's what you and I are going to have to decide. Is this friend dragging me down or is this friend taking me up? I'm going to have to get past some hurdle. I'm have to risk some friendship. Listen to me. Listen to me now. 
If you want God's blessing, you got to keep yourself pure. So if that guy you're dating only wants to have sex with you outside of marriage and just wants to use you when he gets this biological urge, you're going to have to say goodbye to you because I'm not a piece of goods. I'm a child of God and God has given me a dream and a future. You see, we, uh, folks, want, folks want an amazing announcement. They want an amazing assignment. And they want an amazing acceptance. And they want to do nothing. Risk nothing. She, she risked the loss of Joseph and the possible loss of her life. I, I got to hurry here. Joseph was a fiancé. Uh, some Wednesdays back, on Wednesdays was the day they signed all the betrothal contracts. Joseph's mother and daddy, Mary's mother and daddy, went to the local courthouse. They signed the contract a year from now. These couples, this is going to be married. Until then, you keep yourself pure. You don't have sex in, uh, because you're going to get married. You only have it when you're married. And so, so Joseph says, it looks like you broke the contract, girl. Because here you are five months. And so, I'm an honorable man. A man of good reputation. And so she risked the, the possibility that he would say, No, I don't want to be associated with that. I'm gone. And when, when he would leave, the possibility would be that she would have no means of support for herself or the child. Because the culture demanded that you marry somebody who could take care of you and, and provide housing and shelter and an income on your family. And if Joseph goes, not only would she be a marked woman in Joseph's eyes, she'd be a marked woman in every other male possibility. Back then in the culture, if a girl was pregnant outside of marriage, especially the daughter of a priest, she would be burned to death. I'm not saying I'm advocating it, I'm just telling you the culture. Back then the culture would be that she would be stoned with stones and rocks killed. And what's amazing to me is that Mary, knowing, risking her family's rejection, the public disapproval, the loss of Joseph, possible loss of her life, says, let it be to me, even as you say. Now, I close with these thoughts. God does the impossible when we decide we're going to be a servant of the Lord regardless. Did you hear me? Away with this only feel-good Christianity. Away with this concept, if I give $10 to God, He's going to give me 1000 Where did you get that? Uh, away with all this patronizing God, pointing our finger in His face and saying, bless me or else. Regardless of what this Christmas in December 2011 brings to... You need a Christmas miracle. If you haven't got it yet, regardless, God, I'm not going to backslide. I'm not going to get drunk. I'm not going to cuss and swear and throw things and get mad. Because I know with you all things are possible. Regardless, my marriage isn't what I'd like for it to be. And I have some ownership in improving it. And if it doesn't get better today, I'm committed. One of the most difficult things I deal with is the conflict in families, marriages and families. 
I wouldn't dare. I can. I've been here 26 and a half years. And it would be easy for me to tell you my stories about your stories. And even if I'm generic in saying it, not calling names, I run the risk of betraying your confidentiality. So I won't do it. Except to say that it breaks my heart when a marriage of 33 years is broken. And I said to a husband recently, I don't know how long this marriage was, but regarding marriage, you stay committed to your marriage whether your wife is in the house or many, many miles away moved from you. If it is your prayer to save your marriage, do not. If you're praying, even if the divorce papers are signed, if you are praying for God to restore your marriage, you do not go out and get drunk with the guys. You do not go and sleep with other women because now she's gone. You stay with your marriage covenant until God leads you otherwise. Regardless. Pastor, everybody else is doing so and so and getting away with it. No. No, they're not getting away with it. Be sure your sins will find you out. It may look like they're getting away with it. You know, you know what's pathetic about the American youth and young adult culture? We make images and idols of Lady Gaga who makes me gag. That's how I get my gaga when I look at a woman who so blatantly defies. And this, uh, we, make a, we make a culture of the Kardashians. I've never seen their show, but I've heard enough of them to know I don't want them to be my role model for anything. What's wrong with America is we want to be like basketball players and football players who cause pregnancies and babies all across the land without paying for the first one of them. It's amazing to me. We let late night talk show people declare our morality. Unsaved, ungodly people like Ellen DeGeneres. I might as well call their names. You know them. God help us. If, I, if I'm going to get my miracle and my, my, my touch from God, there's a, there's a responsibility on my part. I've got to surrender. Let it be to me, God. Listen to me. Oh, help me, Jesus. I've I got to find a place to land this. You've got to say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Stand, everybody, would you? Oh, how God bless you. I want you to stand after you've reached, reached your, your balance, your foot well planted on the ground. You adjust yourself. I want you to lift up both of your hands. Come on, praise team, man. Raise up your hands to God and thank God He chose you in spite of what He knew about you. Thank God He gave you another chance when somebody else wouldn't. Thank God he, the world doesn't have the last word on you. Come on. Thank God somebody else in the world and the flesh will not decide your value, will not decide your destiny. Oh, come on, come on and praise Him. God, I thank You that even You could have rejected me and You more than anybody else because You know more about me than anybody else. But You gave me a second chance and a third chance and a fifth chance. Come on, rejoice and praise Him. 
I bless you, Jesus. Mm. Put your hands together now and praise Him. Come on, come on. Come on. I will trust you, Jesus. Now look, look, look here just with me. Okay, look, look here with me. Your miracle you need for Christmas will likely not come in a box or a bottle or a bag with a bow. That ain't the kind of miracles most of us need here. Most of the miracles, the miracles we need here this morning will not come by human power. It will come by your faith in God and your obedience to God. I want Brother Sammy and the prayer team to come and land the front all the way across the front. And I have, we have limited space, Brother Sammy, so let them go all the way across the front. These people are only point of contacts on your path to your miracle. But listen to me. You know, every year I need to see that, that Christmas carol of Charles Dickens. Every year I need to see that. Okay? And I have already this year. And why I love to see Charles Dickens' Christmas carol is because there is a Christmas miracle that took place when the impossible was made possible. When you take an old grouchy man by the name of Scrooge. Y'all know any Scrooge? Don't, no, 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 no. Don't be hitting nobody on the shoulder saying you know any Scrooge. But I, I'll be very transparent with you. About the Christmas season, sometimes I have been known to be Scrooge. You got your earbuds on, honey? Yeah, put them real tight. So cut off her mic. In all the hustle, bustle, commercialism, all the do's and stuff, I've been known to be the Grinch. And I need some Christmas miracles along the way to let me know it ain't about the Scrooge, it ain't about the Grinch, it ain't even about the presents, it ain't about the tree. Thank God, it's about the Savior. Now what do you need today? What do you need? What kind of miracle do you need for with God all things are possible? You need to, when they start singing, to swallow your pride, let your ego be behind. Step out of your comfort zone. You need to risk your reputation and walk this aisle and say, I need a miracle. Hear me somebody? You hear me? Some of you will not come to an altar because you risk thinking others may think less of you. That's not why we invite you to an altar to make you embarrassed. We invite you to an altar because it's the place of surrender. I know you can surrender in the, in the chair. But oh God, sometimes it means it's, just like, it's like saying, if i got to swallow my pride, I'll go. If you need salvation, if you are bound by some sort of bondage or addiction, intercede and pray. Those of you that know how to pray. If you come by yourself or your spouse comes with you, for goodness sake, if you need a Christmas miracle... Come in Jesus' name. Come. Sing, my brother. Come, come. We'll, we'll go home in just a moment, but we need this moment now. Go ahead. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Keep coming. Come on. Keep coming.